The Creek Church is a community of believers located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you would like more information about The Creek Church, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Good morning. Well, I am very excited for Matt and Heather to get back. We have uh, Matt on his first time back next week. He's actually going to give us kind of an update on everything that happened over these past couple of weeks. So be in continual prayer for those guys that they make it back home safely to us. And also don't forget that next week is actually the week that we're going to roll out our three new service times. So today is the last day of just a second service. So remember, those are going to be 8.30, 10, and 11.30, so don't come early or, or late depending on how you look at it. Now, I, I committed to Matt, and by the way, if this is your first time, my name is Trinity and I'm the family pastor. Matt, our senior pastor, as you just saw, is in Rwanda, and he'll be back next week, so definitely come back next week to hear about that. But I had committed to Matt when I talked to him that I was going to finish for us the book of Ruth over the two weeks that he was gone. So we actually are going to be in the entire chapter of Ruth 4 today. And I'm going to apologize in advance. I'm going to be speaking kind of fast. And we're just going to hit the blocks and we're going to be in a full sprint this morning. So before we get into chapter 4 verse 1, I just want to remind you of where we came from. Now remember last week... Uh, Ruth appeared at the threshing floor with Boaz, uncovered his feet, proposed marriage to him essentially, and then the following morning, Ruth went back to Naomi and Boaz went out to settle the matter of redemption. And that's where we're going to find ourselves today in chapter 4, verse 1. Verse 1, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come afterwards. And he said, or the other redeemer said, I will redeem it. So after he leaves the scene of the threshing room floor... We see that Boaz arrives at the city gates. Now understand that the city gates in Israel, it was a prominent place. It was a place that usually they conducted official business. Um, You see that several times throughout the scriptures. But here specifically, he goes for this matter of redemption. And again, we see the providential hand of God at work that we've seen throughout the book of Ruth, where it said, um, when Ruth and Naomi came back to the land, that they happened to come into the field of Boaz. Boaz happened to come by when they were there. They happened to meet Well, here, when he goes down to the city gates in order to settle this matter, the other redeemer happens to come into the situation, into the scene. So again, we see the providential hand of God here. But what I love about this section is that we see such great things in the heart of Boaz. We see just what kind of a guy he is. And when he comes to the redeemer, he tells him, hey, Naomi's parcel of land, it's being sold. So that gives us a little bit of a key identifier as to what's going on here with the land. Naomi is actually selling the land. So a couple of things could have happened here. One, when they left the land originally to go to to Moab, 
They could have sold the land, but because of the laws in Israel concerning inheritance, they, they had the opportunity to buy it back, or the land is under some sort of a mortgage. But either way, the truth is this, that the price to redeem the land was just too much for both Ruth and Naomi to be able to redeem. Now, we've been paralleling this story throughout Ruth chapter 1 till now, and making that parallel between how Boaz is a picture of Jesus how the redemption of Ruth is really like the redemption of the church. Well, today, what we want to start out understanding is the price was too great for Naomi and Ruth to redeem the land. Well, in the same way, in our Christian faith, we cannot redeem ourselves. The price is simply too great. In the Old Testament, the sons of Korah, there was actually a psalm that was written by the sons of Korah, and it's Psalm chapter 49. And, and they nail it when they understand this thing. It says, no one can redeem the life of another. Get that. No one can redeem the life of another. Why? Or give God a ransom for them because the ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that they should live on forever and not see decay. And like I said, about Boaz in this section, what's so cool about him is that, remember, this is a time in Israel when everybody was just doing what was right in their own sight. They weren't concerned with how God said to do things. They weren't concerned with following God. And because of that, many of them are living outside of the blessings of God. But we see Boaz as a different kind of dude. Boaz is a guy that even through his role of the kinsman redeemer, he is doing everything in accordance to the way that God would have him do it. He's fulfilling the law of the kinsman redeemer perfectly. And when we parallel Jesus Christ with that, we see the same thing. That not only did Jesus fulfill the the meta law, but also the role of the kinsman redeemer, he fulfilled it perfectly. But the kinsman redeemer, the thing about the kinsman redeemer was you had to be a near kinsman. You had to be a brother, a nephew, somewhere close in the family line. So it begs the question, how did Jesus become our kinsman? How did he fulfill that role of it? Jesus became our kinsman through his humanity. That's why it's absolutely vital for us to understand and believe that Jesus was born of Mary, that he came in the flesh, as it were, that he was 100% man. He was 100% God, too, indicating the duality of his nature. But he was 100% man. It's important to understand that. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, the writer says this about it. He says, therefore he, meaning Jesus, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He had to be made like me and you in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or payment or to become a redeemer for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. The writer in Hebrews chapter 4, a couple of chapters later in verse 15, makes a similar statement when he says, therefore in every respect, every respect, he was tempted just as we were, yet without sin. So that's the first key to understanding how Jesus could fulfill the role as the kinsman redeemer. He had to become human. And in fact, there was a heresy that was rising up around the time of the apostles that the apostle John had to specifically speak to in 1 John chapter 4 and also 2 John chapter 1, there was this group of people known as the Gnostics. They were coming in. They believed that they had had special revelation from God. Gnostic, gnosto, it means to know, to have understanding and knowledge. Well, what they were saying was 
that because the flesh is bad, and that's exactly what the Bible says, the flesh profits nothing, they had taken that and they had twisted it to a place of saying, since all flesh is bad, therefore, Jesus must not have came in the flesh. And they were going around the, the known world at that time teaching that. So the Apostle John, when you read his letters, you see him coming against that teaching saying, anyone who says this is a deceiver in their antichrist, meaning opposed to Christ. So it's important for us to understand that Jesus came in the flesh. That's a very important point. Let's move on. Verse 5. It says, then Boaz said, so the Redeemer, just to channel back just a bit, the Redeemer said he would purchase it. So then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth. Dun, 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 dun. He didn't realize that. So what does he say? He says, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. In other words, in order to give her seed, to give her son. What does the Redeemer say? Then the Redeemer said, I can't redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So we see that Boaz, he's able to acquire the rights to redeem because the other redeemer decides, I I just can't do this. I can't step into that. I can't make that kind of financial burden upon myself. And we'll talk about that in a bit. But Boaz pays the price, whatever this costly price was in order to redeem. So he's a kinsman in that he's a close relative, but he's a redeemer in that he paid the price. So we talked about Jesus, that he had to become human to become our kinsman. Well, what about the redemption process? How did he become our redeemer? What was the price? See, in order to buy back land or property, you had to give some sort of property, whether it was ox, donkeys, whether it was money, whatever it was. What about in order to redeem a human soul? What about for the blood of that person? How is that redeemed? Jesus became our redeemer through the shedding of his blood, blood for blood. In Hebrews 9, verse 22, the writer of Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. So it was absolutely vital that Jesus became the perfect substitutionary sacrifice for your sins and my sins, because that was the cost that God demanded upon a human soul. Now, also what we learn in this process is that the first kinsman, see, when he says he's going to redeem it, all he's simply doing is saying, I see a good financial investment here. In other words, I get to redeem this property, I get this land, and the only thing that I have to give is Naomi. Naomi, she's kind of older in age, I don't have to worry about there being a son, having to produce seed, she's old. It's not that much of a financial burden to support her, and I get this land. Deal done. Until he learns about Ruth. And what's his fear? 
that, man, it's going to mar my own inheritance. Why? Because if I have to produce a son through this woman, that when he becomes of age, he's going to take Elimelech's property and partially some of mine as well. So he wasn't going to do it. But when Boaz looked at the situation, on the other hand, he, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a transaction that he was making in order to acquire property. He saw Ruth, and he loved Ruth. And that's the same picture of Christ and what he's done for us. When he looks upon humanity and when he chose to become that blood sacrifice for us, he became our kinsman redeemer because of his love for us, that he desired you, he desired me. Remember last week in chapter three, it said that he looked at Ruth and he said, you are a worthy woman. In other words, you are valuable to me. In the same way, Christ sees us as worthy and he sees sees us as valuable in order to give his life as a ransom for us. But there's also another aspect of this I want to talk about. Now, part of the reason why the, uh, the other redeemer was a little bit confused is not all the time when there was a kinsman redeemer type role was there also a wife to marry. These are actually two separate laws in Israel. Leviticus 25 is the role of the kinsman redeemer. Deuteronomy 25 is the role of Leverite marriage. So they didn't always go together, but they did in this case. And notice when he said that about it, he, oh, I've got to produce a seed. He understood that there was going to be something lost in his inheritance through it. And that becomes a key for us to identify something within the church. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, when Paul's talking about redemption, he says that we have redemption through the blood of Christ. We all get that. We all understand that. But I want to go and I want to read to you the rest of Ephesians chapter 7. It's verses 7 through 11. I'm just going to paraphrase some of it so it's kind of succinct and makes sense. But he says, we have redemption or we've been redeemed by our kinsman redeemer through his blood, which reveals his will to us. Okay, what's his will? Which is a plan for the fullness of time. So his will is a plan that he set in motion in Genesis. We'll find its climax at the end of the millennial reign. So it's a plan for the fullness of time to what? To unite all things. Now I want you to remember that word, all things, because it's going to become incredibly significant to us in just a second. But his plan was throughout the time of history to unite all things in him, both in heaven and on earth. And in him... It says, we have received an inheritance. This is the first mention, maybe to you, that within Christ, we've received an inheritance, and it mirrors what's going on perfectly here in Ruth. Not only was Naomi going to get her land back, but also there was an inheritance that was going to come. And in chapter 1, verse 7 through 11 of Ephesians there, we learn that we become an heir too. We become heirs with Jesus through the redemption what does that mean? What have we become heirs of, right? It's kind of an odd thing. Well, it just said all things. What is all things? It's going to be interesting as we go through this that every time it talks about our inheritance almost, it mentions all things. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17. Paul says, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So we are God's children. Therefore, do we receive an inheritance is the key. So we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Don't miss this. Jesus, through the redemption process, through becoming our kinsman redeemer, has the right to an inheritance as well. 
That's what the text is telling us. And we've become co-heirs with Christ. He goes on in verse 32 to say, He that didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us what? All things. There's that word again. What on earth does that mean? Well, Colossians chapter 1 unpacks this for us in a beautiful way. At least we get a better picture of what all things means. Colossians chapter 1, verse 11 through 13 says, Giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. There's inheritance again. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. We've been redeemed. He's comparing redeeming, kinsman redeemer, receiving inheritance, which is the forgiveness of sins. He is the image. He goes on to say more about Jesus. He says, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Don't miss what Paul is saying here. He's saying that this inheritance that is received by Christ because of what he's done, we have been welcomed into every single thing in the created order, whether visible or invisible, thrones, powers, you name it, has been given to us, the church. That is the inheritance that he's given to us. Is that not absolutely astonishing? We find out in the Bible that we will judge even angels. We will be set over angels What Christ has purchased for us and what he's redeemed and given to us is absolutely amazing when you start peeling back the layers and you see exactly what he died for. Absolutely amazing. Now, I'm going to read verse 11 and 12, and then we're going to skip down to the bottom section of this, verse 18 through 22, because I'm going to tie them together, and then we're going to come back and read the middle portion. So verse 11 Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. And listen to this blessing they give them. They say, may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, they're speaking of Ruth, may may the Lord make Ruth like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. Now Jacob had two wives, Rachel and Leah. Now through those two women and also their handmaidens, Jacob, whose name turns to Israel, has 12 sons. And these 12 sons that Rachel and Leah produce and their handmaidens become the entire tribe and nation of Israel. So they're praying a pretty big thing. They're speaking a pretty big blessing over them. May it become like this awesome Israel. Well, what does her seed end up producing? Eventually down the line, King David, who becomes the ruler over these 12 tribes, but also Jesus Christ, who not only becomes the ruler of these 12 tribes, but every Gentile that will be grafted in, more numerous than the sands on the seashore. She has no, they have no idea the blessing they just gave, but they have no idea the fulfillment that Jesus is going to give through that. It's, it's absolutely astonishing. But he, they go on to say, may you act worthily in Ephrathah, and may you be renowned in Bethlehem. And they're certainly renowned in Bethlehem. We're speaking about Boaz and Ruth even today. So their name has lived on through this, just like they prayed. But verse 12, verse 12, it starts getting a little bit interesting. It says, and may your house be like the house of Perez. Perez, really? 
if you don't know the story of Perez, this is a scandalous story in, in Israel's history. Why on earth are they saying, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Skipping down to 18. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. There's a lot of begatten in there. Why? is the scriptures given us the generations of Perez. Why even mention Perez in this blessing? Let me tell you a little bit about Perez and why this is such a scandalous story. Back in Genesis chapter 38, Judah had three sons. The first son took a wife. Her name was Tamar. This is where Tamar enters into the story. Well, it says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. So what does the Lord do? He kills him. Okay, second in line, the next one, Onan, he comes up because of Deuteronomy 25 and Leverite marriage, he's supposed to now produce a seed through Tamar. And this is one of the most oft made fun of scriptures, the one that's going to make me turn red when I mention it. But it says that he goes in to produce seed, but instead he would spill it on the ground. I, I hate even saying that. And, and we read that and, and we find out that God ends up putting him to death. We're like... And that seems kind of harsh, right? Man, Lord, why did you put him to death for that? When you understand that in Genesis chapter 49, that the line of the Messiah and of the kings was supposed to come through Judah, because Onan was stopping any seed from going on, he was stopping the birth of not just the kings, but the Messiah. And God had a big problem with that. He puts him to death. Well, what does Judah do after that? He said, okay, I've got one son left, Shelah. Well, what I'm going to do is once Sheila gets of age, you can marry Sheila. You can produce seed through him. She says, okay, good. But over the course of time, she realizes Judah's not going to give me Sheila. It says that he was scared that he would die as well. But what she ends up doing is Judah's wife dies. And he ends up going to the, the city of Timnah, and she dresses herself up as a prostitute, puts a veil over her face, so he has no idea this is his daughter-in-law. It says that they go in together, and she says, what will you give me for this transaction? And he's like, I'll give you a goat. Like, that's a, that's a great price, I guess. She gets a goat out of the deal, but he doesn't have the goat with him. So she says, well, why don't you give me your signet ring? Why don't you give me your cord, and, why don't you, your cord and also give me your staff? So basically, your driver's license and registration. And he says, okay, here you go. The deal is done. He goes to go get the goat to have it brought back, and she's nowhere to be seen. And his driver's license and registration are gone too. Well, three months later, he ends up hearing that your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has been immoral, and she has a child, and he flips. He says, bring her here. We're going to burn her. And she ends up coming, and she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm pregnant, but I'm pregnant by whose these are, boom, your signet ring and your staff, son. And so what happens? He says, Tamar has been more righteous than I, because I promised to give, him, give her Sheila, and I didn't. Well, what we end up finding out through the story is she has two sons within her womb, and Perez is the one that comes out first. So why is this story linking Perez? Well, for a couple of reasons. One, Tamar, she's an outsider. She's a foreigner. 
just like Ruth is. Two, she has child through Leverite marriage, just like Ruth does. But what does that end up creating? It creates the continuation of the line of the Messiah, and that is what they're praying over. May this foreigner and may you, Boaz, even produce something as significant as the Messiah. And sure enough, it did. But I've told you before that I believe everything in the Bible is there by deliberate design and intent by the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, so why on earth did God give us the generations of Perez? Is that even significant? Remember the first week that we started Ruth and I read to you Deuteronomy 23, just to show you the history of the Moabites and how they were excluded from Israel by the law, but grace welcomed them in. Well, When you read the very first of Deuteronomy 23, it says, no one born of an immoral union can enter the assembly of the Lord to 10 generations. You remember that? Well, this was an immoral thing that happened between Judah and his daughter-in-law. So all of a sudden, a curse comes upon the line of Judah and they aren't accepted within the assembly of God, much less become king. So when we read this, notice something. These are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab, Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz, Obed. Obed, Jesse. And Jesse, David. Ten generations later, the curse is lifted. And who becomes king? Who gets welcomed back into Israel? King David. This clears up for us the curious case of 1 Samuel when uh, the nation is asking for a king, the first time in history they ask for a king and God says, okay, give them one. And he gets Saul. For the close reader of the Bible, we think, why Saul? You are the priest, prophet, and judge of Israel, Samuel. Why would you anoint Saul? Saul is of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Judah is supposed to rule because he couldn't, because they were under a blood curse uh, from this section of scripture, Deuteronomy 23. And until that lifted Someone from the tribe of Judah couldn't be king. So much of the Bible is cleared up when we really begin to look in it, and it becomes absolutely astonishing. This book, 66 books, penned by 40 authors over thousands of years, yet there's a singular story told throughout it. God is deliberate, and there's nothing in here that isn't intentional to show that his handiwork is all through this book. It's so cool. Let's move on. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now the only issue with the son here that was going to come was he liked to sleep in for a long time, well past noon. How do I know that? Because his name was Obed. That's my lame joke for the day. I just had to get it out. We can move on now. Okay. So we've been paralleling this story with our redemption and how Ruth is really filtered throughout the entire Bible. And we've seen 
that Boaz is a type of Jesus. We've seen that Ruth is a type of the church. So it begs the question, what about Naomi? He shall be a restorer of life to you in your old age. So we have this Jewish person who had the land, lost the land, needed a redeemer. Then she introduces Israel to Ruth. Israel becomes grafted into Ruth. And later through that, she becomes back, she comes back into the land. <laughs> Make no mistake, Ruth is, or Naomi is a picture of the Jewish nation. God is going to bring them back into the land. Now, it started in 1947 without question, but there's going to come a time called the millennial reign that happens after the seven-year tribulation in which the land is restored and the Jewish nation is welcomed in and they look upon him and whom they've pierced. Romans 11 tells us that God is not through with the Jewish nation yet. In fact, part of the reason why he's went to the Gentiles to bring us to faith was to provoke Israel to jealousy, that they may come back. So we see such a picture in Ruth. Ruth is such a subset of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And I want to show you just a small picture of that because there's this curious case of Revelation chapter 5 in what could possibly be the scroll that God is holding in his right hand. I think the book of Ruth gives us an indicator as to what that is. So before I get to Revelation, I want to read Ruth 4, verse 5, one more time. It says, Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth. Now we look at that and we think, and we see ourselves in there as being the church, and we see, okay, okay, Jesus has purchased us by his blood, signed, sealed, delivered, done. Well, notice also it said that he redeemed the land as well. That becomes highly significant for us in understanding that this inheritance that Jesus has, this all things that was created that he is given because he's a kinsman redeemer is also all created things, all the land. He has restored it as well. And that helps us to understand Revelation chapter five. I wanna go and I wanna read it to you because it's so cool. Um, Revelation, I'm going to start in Revelation 4, verse 11, just because I like it a lot, but it says, worthy are you, Lord. We just sang that tonight. I thought it was so cool that the band did that unprompted. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created, what? You created all things. There's that word again. And by your will, they existed and were created. Man, that sounds like Colossians chapter 1, doesn't it? Well, he goes on in Revelation 5. It says, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll. Now understand, John has been taken up into the throne room of heaven. He's watching this go down in the heavenly realm. So it says, I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, which is the father, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly or uncontrollably because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And we read that and we think, what about the father? Is the father not able to open this seal? He's not. 
That gives us one indicator of what this is. What about Michael the archangel or Gabriel that are always doing the will of God? They're not able to open the scroll? They're not. So they're searching, not just in the heavens with the 24 elders that are there, but on the earth and under the earth. Why? They're looking for one person that can open it. And listen to what it says. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. He's conquered. It goes on in verse 6 and says, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw this conquering lion. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. When he sees the picture of Jesus in heaven, he sees him as a lamb. Why? Because it's important to understand that his sacrifice is the reason he is able to open this scroll. It goes on to say the 24 elders, they break out into song and they start singing and they say, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain and by your blood you have redeemed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you've made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on earth. So the reason that he is able to take the scroll is because he was the kinsman redeemer. Don't miss that. The reason God couldn't do it was the father, he didn't become human. He didn't pay the price. What's interesting about a seven-sealed scroll, when you look back in antiquity, the Romans actually had a seven-sealed scroll. Um, We have an example of this through um, Augustus and Vespasian. What was a seven-sealed scroll in Roman times? It was a will. What's within the will? The inheritance. And Jesus is worthy of the inheritance. We already read that in Romans 8, but we're seeing a picture of him taking this scroll. There's also another sealed scroll mentioned. It's in Jeremiah 32. And what's that one? That one's a title deed. What do I believe is going on here? I believe Jesus Christ is receiving his inheritance, the title deed to the earth, that he is one from the founding of creation, that he won with the redemption of you and I. And so when he goes to break those seven seals, all hell breaks loose on earth. Why? Because he's redeeming the land. Not only did he come to redeem Ruth, not only did he come to restore Nomi, he came to also kick Satan out of this realm. Now, when we read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, what does it say? It says, let us create man in our own image and let him have rule or dominion over the earth. You see, all things once belonged to Adam. Adam through sin fell. And who became the ruler of this world? Satan. How do we know that? Jesus told us in John 12 verse 31. He said, Satan is the ruler of this age. And... The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, what does he call him? He calls him the God of this age. So Satan took over that which was intended for man. So what the first Adam failed in, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, has conquered. He's redeemed and he's been given authority over all things. And in Revelation, what that is, those seven years, is him taking back what the enemy has stolen. Him welcoming Naomi, Israel, back into the land in him taking his bride. The book of Ruth is a subset of what the entire Bible shows us. It is one of the most astonishing books in the entire Bible. I wish I could have taught Ruth chapter four for three different sermons because there's so much in here. 
But what does that mean for us? That Jesus Christ is coming back to take his bride. That this is not our world. That it's been fallen. It's under a different ruler now. That Jesus Christ, he is going to come and he is going to take it back. But what does the Bible say? That we're looking forward to a kingdom whose builder and maker is God. Established in righteousness. So we are called here to do what? What is it that Christ asks us to do? To go out into the world and to make disciples. To go to the rich, the poor, the lame, the hurt, the broken, the mended. And give them the gospel of Christ that they may come and they may be redeemed in a part of this coming inheritance that's coming upon this earth. That is the principal function of the church. Now, when we read through the book of Ruth, we found out it was happening when? During the time of Pentecost, which was what? The birthday of the church. But what happened on Pentecost? The Holy Spirit descended in cloven tongues of fire to give us power. What was that power for? Was it for an awesome children's ministry? That, I think that's part of it. That's important. Was it for um, check-in and welcome centers and ushers and all that? Man, that's great and we need that. But the principal reason he came was to give us power. Why? To make us effective witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God has called us And he's entrusted with us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the sole purpose is to go out into the world and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And what? To teach them to obey all that I have said. My question for you this morning is, are you one of those people that are on the cusp of becoming a disciple of Jesus? I'm not asking you this morning if once upon a time you believed a couple of theological facts about Jesus and someone said a prayer over you and you made Jesus your Lord. Listen, we don't make Jesus our Lord. Jesus is Lord. We don't make Jesus our personal Savior. Our knee's gonna bow here, it's gonna bow then. One leading to heaven, one leading to eternity away in hell. So we don't make Jesus our Savior. We submit to his Lordship. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Has this Holy Spirit come within you, empowering you to go and be fishers of men? Because Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This morning, I feel led to pray over us. And if there's anyone here who's never accepted Christ as their Lord, as their Savior, but submitted their lives to him, I'm going to pray for you to make that decision today. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for the awesome story in the book of Ruth that shows us your plan, God, for the fullness of time, the restoration of all things and the inheritance in which you've given to us, your children. God, you are absolutely amazing. And Father, I feel led to pray this morning over those who want to ask you to be their savior and that they submit their lives unto you, Father. And I pray you fill them with the Holy Spirit, God. I pray they begin to change into the likeness of you, Lord. And I pray that they go out and make disciples. If that's you this morning, if you've never asked Christ to do that for you, I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. Just pray in the quietness of your spirit, not aloud, but repeat these words in your heart to the Lord. Father, I know I'm a sinner. God, I know I've broken your laws. And because of that, I need a redeemer. Jesus, I believe in you. 
I believe that you fulfilled the law. I believe you are the kinsman redeemer. And I believe that through your blood, you have purchased me. I believe that you are Lord and Savior and that you rose from the dead. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Seal me unto redemption. And I choose to give my life to you completely. Father, thank you. I am now saved. And with every eye closed and every head still bowed, I'm going to ask you for one more step of faith this morning. I'm not asking you to come to the altar to do anything like that. I just simply want to ask you that if you prayed that prayer today to give your life to Christ, if you would just simply raise your hand and put it back down. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. See those hands. Anyone else? Thank you. I see your hand. Is there anyone else? Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else here today? I won't ask again. Thank you. I see your hands. Thank you. Father, thank you that today was the appointed day of salvation. And these tens of 12 of 15 have come before the throne of grace, giving you their life, and they have received redemption. And not only have they received redemption, Lord, they are become inheritors of all things, both created, invisible, and invisible. Father, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your redemption. And God, I pray over them that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit right now, that you'd put such a charge within them that they went out from here and set the world on fire for Jesus Christ. Lord, the enemy's been taking, he's been taking, he's been taking, and he's been taking from us. It's time for us to reach our hands into his domain and start taking back and start setting the captives free. Father, bless these guys. Fill them with your love, your joy, your peace. May they become inheritors of all that you've given. Father, we love you. We thank you. And we lift up this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Creek Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us, please visit our website at thecreekfw.com. Thank you.